The following programme is a repeat of The Farm Show, which airs Thursday nights on KCLR from 7. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. This is The Farm Show on KCLR. Brought to you with thanks to TierlawnFarmLife.com. Good evening. And you're very welcome to the programme. It's Martin Bridgman in the chair tonight. And um, Matt, among his many talents, has not mastered by location. As you'll hear, he spent the day at the Agricultural Science Annual Conference uh, that was held today in Kilshee House in County Kildare. We heard from uh, Tommy Bold, the president there, uh, president there, previewing events. But uh, lots more besides coming up on the programme. The theme for the conference is the science of sustainable food systems and focuses on solutions to some of the most pressing challenges facing the industry. Matt's been busy with recordings from there and from elsewhere. We'll hear about a farm walk he was on last week, uh, including an interview with the Bank of Ireland representative. We'll also hear the harvest report from Fela MacDonald. And later, we'll have the weekly reports from Tullamart. And George Candler will join us in the studio for the Kilkenny Mart Report. But first, as many people will be aware, there's emerging news on nitrates and herd size and delayed payments has caused quite a bit of uh, commentary and criticism. While Matt was at the ASA conference earlier today, he got an immediate reaction from a working farmer and managed to get some time with the very very busy minister, uh, McConnell. But first, he spoke with Jim Berrigan of Tierlawn. Earlier today, I attended the ASA conference in Nace and I got an opportunity uh, to speak with Jim Bergen, the CEO of Tierlon. Uh, he reflected during his uh, presentation on the uh, development with the nitrates derogation and uh, it appears that uh, pretty much from the 1st of January, those people securing that derogation will be impacted severely. Jim, this is a big uh, impact and, and and has major repercussions for very many of the Tierland suppliers. Oh, it is, Matt. Yeah, and, and I mean the, the you know the shock to yesterday evening was was the finality of it. Um, you know, this has been talked about about I suppose well into last year and has been flagged as a, as a high possibility. You know, but when something absolutely lands, well then you know it's a time for reflection for everybody. So I'd say there's a lot of farmers worried today. Uh, many farmers have have thought about their plans. Some have executed certain plans. You know, some have have done things, I suppose, in terms of of paying high prices for for leased land or acquiring land at 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 high prices, and and you know, from a sustain an economic sustainability point of view, you you worry about that a bit. But now, you know, they have to make other choices uh, in a relatively short period of time. Yeah, we'll be hearing from the minister himself later on in the afternoon when he attends and addresses the conference. Uh, there seems to be some insinuation that there'll be a nuanced approach that not all areas will suffer the the reduction from 250 to 220 or is it your understanding that it's flat blunt force across the across the entire country yeah i i think definitely that was in the ether you know back over the months earlier months this year uh, my own interpretation of that was that 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 there was a p issue as well uh, and that, that that could have been more of an issue for for other parts of the country uh, and therefore that it was actually going to happen on a blanket basis. So I haven't seen the detail beyond it, uh, it being said that we're gone from 250 to 220. So my understanding is it's, it's on a blanket basis. Farmers floundering around, as you say, trying to rent land that they don't necessarily need at all for uh, for milk production in order to, to minimise the impact. Two uh, two immediate outcomes from that. One, the, 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 the cost implications. And number two, the implications for other sectors. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of beef men and grain men, you know, who had land, I suppose, that they were renting and, 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 and that they've lost it. 
so there is that. But look, the economics will always play out. We can't we can't get away from that. There are social impacts, local impacts, no doubt. And and you know, there's always an issue around the protection of of leased land that farmers may have. So 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 there is that 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 that, that social change. But ultimately, economics will 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 play out here. And and you know, we know from. Chagas or wherever that that the return to dairying is considerably higher than the t- return to grain or beef. Um, so so we shouldn't be surprised that that's going to happen. But what we wouldn't like to happen is that is that farmers pay for either for long term leases or for very expensive land that the average return on milk isn't able to support. You know we never like to see that happening. And um, you know the the overall picture here is is uh, is one where uh, all the language of restriction and the policies of restriction. Have been rolled out, you know, and uh, um, and we see now, you know, a very final step here in in, in going to two twenty. Um, but the policies in relation to the opportunities for a diversified farming model, which is a big, big change now on farms, that only some of that has been rolled out. So the solar side of it is is at a more advanced stage, and we see farmers in our, our own um, um, uh, package for for solar generation, farm gen. Uh, we see an explosion in demand there now. So so farmers are taking that up. Uh, we have no biofuel strategy here. There's 90 anaerobic digesters in Northern Ireland. We actually don't have a biofuel strategy here yet, or, or policy framework within which farmers can work. Um, and, you know, I think we're coming to a point, and I, I said it this morning at the conference, that the, uh, if the full suite of opportunities and restrictions are set out, well, then farmers have a menu from which they can choose. And they are the owners of the land. And I, I gave the example this morning in relation to, to anaerobic digestion. We were in California last year and, and a farmer said, we are powering the port of, of Los Angeles because they're producing the biofuel that the vehicles are running on. And, you know, I just, you know, half in jest, but, but, but whole in earnest, gave the example this morning where we could be saying in five years' time, the farmers of Kilkenny are powering Kilkenny City. And wouldn't that be a fantastic cross-community collaboration with renewable energy? Uh, and and we wouldn't have a situation where, in the context of restriction, that farmers seem to be vilified today, uh, you know, uh, in an unfair manner, as far as I'm concerned. But there isn't that kind of circular uh, thinking or policy engagement at the moment. It's 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 what I call bit by bit policies, yeah, this and yeah. that, and 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 the other. Yeah. Could could I come back to something you mentioned this morning? My interpretation uh, was that the science around this uh, reduction in 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 um, nitrates. There's no certainty that that will deliver what is hoped for. Uh, and certainly the actions being taken by farmers across the country at the moment through ASAP and other mm. and other remedial actions is far more likely to deliver positive results, particularly in terms of water quality. Yeah. So, you know, our philosophy as of now, and we've been doing a lot of work on this, is is that we have to take it catchment by catchment because it's different in different parts. Uh, one of the things we've established, you know, it, it, up take the Slaney River. So we selected that one first because it's it's more compact, let's say. Uh, there's seven and a half thousand farmers on the Slaney River. Uh, there's 450 dairy farmers. So only 6% of the farmers and 17% of the land actually is in dairy. Therefore, you know, you have to assess them. Well, what is the real impact that our dairy farmers are having? We know they are having an impact. But if you were to listen to other uh, offices of the state, you'd be given to understand that the only problem is dairy. Um, and, and it's not. There's a broader base to this that, that we need to understand. So, And also then across the country, there's going to be different soil types, you know, and that would require different different management uh, uh, approaches. So I think we have to help farmers catchment by catchment or sub-catchment by sub-catchment, uh, and we have to deal with them on a one-to-one basis on the ground, which is, effectively is 
an expansion in resources of the ASAP program, but also with this mentality that we have to help farmers through this. And it's not just enough to throw a regulation at them, say, here's a bit of money to invest and expect them to be able to make this transition on their own because it's a big ask. Before we finish, Jim, go back for a moment to the economics on on, on tier lawn. Um, the economics for us uh, in the past two years, we have a flat milk supply. We're flat last year. We're flat this year. Um, the question is, you know, will we see an initial reduction uh, in milk supply in in 2024, but then a recovery through um, better constituents? That's what that's what has happened in other countries. When when the, the numbers went down somewhat, um, there was a, a growth in the constituents. You know, so all of the technologies that are there. Uh, you know, in terms of, of EBI and genetics and all those things, uh, better nutrition will be brought to bear, I believe, by farmers because if they're not able to expand in, in number of cows, they will be able to, to perform and get their cows to perform better. And that's an ongoing science. Mike McGann, you're a dairy farmer, milk producer based up in Longford. Uh, this is going to impact on you significantly, this, um, this reduction in the nitrates derogation level. Yeah, definitely is, Matt. We've been following best guidelines and best practice. We've been pushing up uh, stocking rates or maximising our farm on stocking rates, still staying under, under the 250 from the, on the original thing, doing what we consider best practice. And we now find ourselves, if we don't make some dramatic change and having to reduce stock numbers considerably, having made an investment in infrastructure and made an investment in land, we now find ourselves going to be disadvantaged from a production point of view. Yeah, and as I discussed with Jim Bergen earlier, the figures from Chagask in terms of income reduction are significant. It's just—it's not just a matter of reducing by X number of cows. There are there are income uh, results and outcomes from that, and uh, there's pro rata impacts across uh, financing loans and so on and so forth for all farmers, not just yourself. Yeah, definitely. The, I think the, the reach of dairy farming is very wide and the, the, what it does for, to, to help rural economies is very, very big. So, yeah, this has a very serious implications for it because most farms, in fairness, Matt, most farms don't, they're not hoarding large amounts of reserves or cash. Most of them are reinvesting it or they're, they're, they're sustaining more jobs or whatever. And to have that kind of level of reduction you know, to the magnitude of, of the 30 kilos of van per hectare, that's going to have a very, very big effect financially and also wealth, well-being. Farmers are have enough relentless pressure on what they do and how they do it. And to have this come in on top of them. Now, we should have seen, we, we probably knew it was coming. The speed with which it came is a problem. Time to adjust is a problem. Um, and maybe... Today is not the day to be voicing a concern. My worry is would, they've now got a mechanism for measurement, which is quality of rivers. If they use that measurement, that crude, that crude measurement, does it mean they will drive us down from 220 even further? That's my, that's my single biggest worry. Maybe not a discussion for today, but if we don't get ahead of this argument, Matt, we are going to lose out significantly, and we have no tools that because we haven't a united voice we're divided about how we're you know how we present our case and um, if there ever was a time for us coming together and stop this bickering and infighting between organizations now is the time minister has described uh, earlier at the conference you've had an interesting 24 hours to say the least of it a lot of farmers on the war path let's start with the nitrates derogation uh, the, the 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 timing of it and the suddenness of it probably took people by surprise to some extent you're 
You're familiar with the fact, I assume, that many thousands of, of farmers will be impacted economically as put out by Chagas, maybe 29-30% of a, a, a potential reduction in income from this. Yeah, well, I mean, it's been very much in the offing over the course of this year, and it's something I've been working very closely with farm organisations in relation to how we would deal with the challenge. Um, obviously, we had a very difficult negotiation to get our, our nitrates derogation renewed and agreed by other member states back um, in March of 2022. Actually, the previous one expired in December 21, and it took until March actually to get that to get that renegotiated because um, it was a tough negotiation. Um, where we fought hard to get the, the most beneficial one we possibly could um, and the best outcome we could. But as part of that renegotiation, um, there was uh, we had to agree um, to secure the derogation to a review. Um, and as part of that um, review, by if water quality hadn't improved by the end of 2022, um, then the the maximum under our, our derogation was, would drop from 250 to 220. So uh, from the publication of the maps by the EPA at the end of July, um, that confirmed that under the current derogation, um, we would be dropping from the 1st of January uh, to 2020. Um, but I'd engaged with farm organisations and representatives then as well to, to put a case together to the European Commission to see if we could reopen the negotiation of the derogation um, to try and uh, get to hold the 250 and not go to the 220, which we are, are bound to do under the derogation as it stands. But the Commission were very clear with me when I met them on Monday and the Commissioner um, that there simply isn't the possibility of that happening. Um, and the Commission's, uh, from the Commissioner's perspective and the Commission's perspective, we have the most um, benign uh, derogation in Europe, the most flexible derogation in Europe. There's only three countries of the 27 member states now that have a derogation. Um, and, uh, we, uh, and given that ours is, uh, in their view, uh, the most flexible of any of those three member states that have it uh, is, and that it is only 18 months old, that it simply wasn't viable or, or realistic to, to go back and seek further amendment from uh, other member states in relation to that derogation. So, so have you any confidence, that, Minister, that the, there won't be a further drop in another two years down so, to 170? Well, 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 to be... The derogation is a derogation from the norm that's facing all member states across Europe and... and other 25 or 24 of the 27 member states um, currently have to work off 170. Um, so a derogation can never be taken for granted and, has, and it will be up for negotiation again in 2025. And as we've seen this time around, um, there's no certainty that that, that, that would be renewed. Um, so we have to work to ensure that we uh, continue the hard work which farmers are uh, taking. We have to work to make sure we're seeing an improvement in water quality um, so that we actually um, are in a position to renegotiate that and maintain it. Um, so that will be up for negotiation again. And uh, certainly, um, you know, we have clarity, absolute clarity now that the, that the 220 that we were obliged to drop to as of the end of July, um, that that won't be changing. Um, and our objective and our focus now needs to very much focus on the fact that we have to hold that 220 and we have to work together to put ourselves in a position that when the renegotiation starts in 2025, the second half of 2025, that, um, that we keep that. Just one other point, Minister, that this uh, delay that's anticipated in the early payment of, of uh, basic payments and so on, a lot of angst amongst farmers going to put immense pressure on cash flow and so on for farmers. Yeah, so, so listen, I, I would have um, met with farm organisations earlier this year and my department would have engaged um, and communicated directly with farmers as well to outline the challenges that are associated with delivering the first year of a new cap. Um, as a government, we are backing farm families in every way possible. We're bringing a 50% increase in co-funding 
um, which is the highest there's ever been between CAP programmes to this CAP, to run the strongest schemes possible. Um, but all of those schemes are new this year. All are being implemented for the first time. A whole new system had to be, to be built to implement them. And also then as well, we have a change in relation to the monitoring system as well, where there's 100% monitoring now um, of all, of all um, as opposed to the 5% that have been previously. And that's a new change to the system too. So I, working with the department and our objective, and my objective as Minister is to provide the best possible and most effective and efficient service possible to farmers in relation to the delivery of payments and the delivery of schemes. I'd work closely with the team at the start of this year to lay out the timetable, the best possible timetable we could deliver, and having assessed that and reached what was the best possible um, timetable, we then communicated very early to farmers this year, given that we know we, we, we knew that it was going to require some changes from last year um, in relation to um, in relation to the dates. And we would have written to farmers back in March. I met all farm leaders then as well at the farm charter in April to lay out that that was the dates. And uh, we're working very hard now to deliver um, on those. And uh, today I would have met, for example, with ICMSA and confirmed to them that uh, next year uh, we will be reverting to the previous dates. That's a commitment we're giving. It's a commitment we've been saying uh, right along the process is was what we'll be working to next year. And we give um, a confident and clear commitment to the ICMSA today that that will revert next year. But we knew this year, given the logistical challenge, um, that uh, it would require some adjustment and we laid those out early on in the year and have been consistent in communicating that throughout the year and our uh, total objective now is to deliver on those. Thank you, Minister. The Farm Show on KCLR. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com It's been one of the most difficult and challenging harvests uh, in a number of years. I'm joined by uh, Bela MacDonald, um, Business and Technology Advisor uh, based at Oak Park uh, with particular responsibility around the whole crops area. Phelan, not, not a bad description, a very, very challenging year. Challenging year, Matt, certainly. Uh, the weather did us no favours. Uh, rain planting was, was very difficult and it didn't get any easier from there on to harvest. Uh, so look, at we, we, we had a very dry, warm June. Uh, we had a very wet, very, very wet uh, July and that got things off to a poor start in terms of an harvest. And while it improved, I suppose, in, in August, uh, the crops themselves did not improve. Uh, so our yields are back, quality is back, uh, prices as we know are back. Uh, and after such a difficult uh, back in last year as well for the winter crops and spring uh, and a difficult July, uh, there's nothing really much to shout about uh, this year. No, as long with high moisture, very little of the crops, uh, particularly malting barley, attracting the premium price, which which is what basically makes it worthwhile. Yeah, yeah, we're we're hearing maybe about one in four loads uh, are, are are making the grade uh, at best. Uh, that's going to take a hundred euros a ton, and uh, you know, off off the uh, the margins available. So so that is that is critically important for the barley growers. And uh, and that that goes across the board. Then all the all the yields are back. All the farmers there was back in the feed products as well. And then, uh, so so financially, it, it is a difficult year as, as well as operationally. Listen, what stage are we at now? I mean, uh, we well, at least we have a good week now, and it's looking good up into the weekend to try and wrap things up, such as they are. Yeah, um, yeah. There, there there are isolated crops, I suppose, left. Uh, Bit of spring wheat, maybe some spring barley. Spring barley suffered an awful lot, Matt, from 
secondary growths and green grains flourishing throughout the, uh, the crops and what was difficult to deal with. Um, the yields in, in, in general, uh, I suppose, two and a half to two and three quarter tons would have done most of the feed barley uh, crops. Three and a half tons might have been a, a winter crop yield. Uh, winter wheat was certainly less than four tons. It would have been three and three quarters, maybe. Uh, spring oats did reasonably well, and winter oats, you know, they were uh, between two and a half and, well, 2.75 and maybe three and a half tons uh, when the oats. So, uh, and, and any further crops, I don't think are going to improve those averages at this stage, uh, but there are very few left. Uh, so the harvest is more or less done on the isolated crops, as I say. Uh, yeah, were, were very poor and moistures, as you mentioned, relatively. Beans, Phelan, uh, traditionally uh, the, one of the later harvested crops, uh, are, are they completed or where are they? Where are they? Uh, yeah, the harvest started about uh, 10 days, maybe even two weeks ago, uh, and a lot of that harvest is done. It's not all done, uh, but we're getting reports of yields back in, and I'd put an average of maybe two tons, uh, maybe a little bit more with it. Uh, which is quite good, you know. Uh, so the the dry June weather didn't seem to uh, have enough of an effect to, to, to knock that yield back too much. Uh, beans, as we know, that the acreage is, is up quite a bit. It's about 14,000, 15,000 hectares this year. Uh, and together with the decent yield uh, and the payment on beans, the protein payment, uh, they should leave a margin. But there are only one one crop, you know, a break crop, a uh, very good break crop, uh, but it's not going to make up for, for losses in cereals. So yeah, no. Rape up, uh, about 1.8 uh, reports of better uh, yields as well, up two tons or more uh, per acre, so that did quite well as well, and a huge increase, maybe 20,000 or more uh, hectares of, of oil seed rape this year. But prices and costs were, were uh, uh, Quite high as well, so the margin is about to be hectic. Yeah, now Tilly's farmers want to reminding that there's an urgency to, to 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 prepare for next year's crops, whether it's tilling up to to to, to get those weeds growing or oilseed rape. Uh, there's a short window enough for that. There is a short window enough, uh, and and uh, I suppose look at the harvest was sort of early in general. Uh, it started early anyway, uh, but that did not mean that we could prepare ground. Uh, uh, or oilseed rape uh, there's still a lot of straw on the ground but oilseed rape by rights should be sown in, in, in August uh, with later crops going into the middle of September at the latest Matt. Uh, so if you if you intend putting in oilseed rape I get it in now while this fine weather is here I get it in despite uh, it maybe being a little too dry uh, I think it needs to go in now to try and get germinate uh, and establish itself uh, a hybrid variety obviously is, is the uh, option to go with most of which are, are on the uh, recommended list there PFA expansion or Aurelia and um, uh, yeah that needs to go in fairly sharp you know hindsight is a great thing a lot of farmers got caught with uh, a sudden break in the weather last autumn you know waiting for the right time to sow winter barley and, and wheat and allowing for aphid control and so on and so forth is the advice still standard this year? You wait until the timing is right and hope the weather will agree with you. Yeah, yeah, but that was all. That advice is always tempered 
with the work that has to be done. Uh, Matt, look, at if, if, if there's a lot of acreage to go in, you would really have to start that little bit early. Uh, so we would be, I suppose, you'd be targeting uh, around the middle of October for the winter barley. But if it has to go in early in October, uh, then, you know, it has to go in and that's it. Uh, but what we what you really don't want to end up doing is is finding that the weather is breaking the last week week of October, and uh, you can't get your crop in, which happened uh, to a significant extent last year. Uh, so, yeah, there are uh, tolerant varieties, Joyo uh, uh, in particular for uh, uh, barley yellow dwarf virus, uh, and and certainly we would be saying that anybody sowing early. Uh, should be should be using that. Uh, it it should have a, a decent effect, despite the fact that you will possibly see uh, symptoms. And uh, the effect on yield may not be seen. Should not. Be seen. Uh, oh. But other than that, look, it's it's the age old problem of knowing uh, when when to go. Uh, we can still put in our, our our wheat a little early if we want, uh, but it can also go in later uh, condition. Where then uh, do tillage farmers stand in terms of uh, ad- advisory workshops and so on? What's what's the plan from the Chagaskind, um, Balaam, in terms of, you know, there's normally a, a, an autumn series? Yeah. Uh, so the first thing is tomorrow. I'm sorry, on Friday, yeah, uh, we have the tillage forum in Kilashi, uh, which will uh, address, I suppose, a lot of the agronomic uh, issues that farmers want to face now uh, for the for the next production season. Uh, that's at two o'clock in Kilashi Hotel uh, Nace, and then following that next week on Thursday at half past ten in the morning, we have signpost walk uh, on the farm out down Summers, then uh, Brian in Wexford. Now that will be a very interesting one for the uh, for the farmers because it sort of ties in. Uh, the performance of a farm, uh, especially a stillage farm, uh, with uh, climate uh, goals and environmental goals, in particular water quality, which uh, affects all of the tillage farmers the most. Uh, water quality, particularly nitrogen and phosphorus. So we have now got um, a situation where the department has a pretty good handle on on the amount of nitrogen and phosphorus being purchased because uh, everybody will have to be registered to, uh, to buy fertilizer. So we have to get the application rates and timings of our N and P in particular. We have to get that right uh, this year. Uh, so it's important, I think, to, to, to go down to that uh, signpost walk on Thursday of next week. If, if, um, after that, then they'll be, they'll be busy uh, <clears throat> preparing and so we'll probably leave things at that for for the time being and, and work away. That's un, that's understandable. Before we conclude, Phelan, uh, a crop we touch on a couple of times every year, potatoes. Uh, that drought in June did that have a big effect on on on, on potatoes, or is it too early to anticipate? Uh, it might be a little early. And there was a, was a, a workshop, a was light workshop here in Oak Park. Uh, on Tuesday, um, I couldn't attend it myself, but uh, my feedback is that farmers are reasonably happy with the with the potato crop that uh, is in the ground at the moment. They're still full for for a good lift. 
in summary then feel them this year and uh, harvest if possible to forget so that's not that's not quite as simple as that but that's that's what it amounts to it's nothing to, to to be remembered for anyway it's nothing to be remembered for but, but what I what I would suggest to farmers as well is that they do a little bit of financial work on the year gone out and look at where their costs uh, are and the most severe costs which are normally um, <clears throat> uh, fertilizer uh, land rent and machinery uh, so look at those and use those figures for your own production costs in trying to plan out uh, how much uh, cash you're going to need in the coming six months or so uh, because a lot of the grain that's gone into merchants now won't see much back out of it after the bills are paid so there'll be credit needed maybe uh, and there'll be well we don't know about supplies but certainly fertilizer costs are gone up so rather than just forget it I would say look at do a little analysis on it uh, we can help you with that with our profit monitor etc and, uh, and and just see where you can maybe do better or how you can compare with averages or targets I think that would be an important thing and then forget the actual year itself then. Bella McDonald, thank you very much for that harvest update the Farm Show on KCLR. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. Yesterday I got an opportunity to go out to the Barry Farm, Brendan Barry's farm out in Wine Gap, and a uh, very good, a very good discussion and walk it, it turned out to be. It was a collaborative effort between uh, Chagask and Bank of Ireland with Tierlan, I think, involved as well. And uh, I got an opportunity to talk to Susan Marr, uh, the Agri Development Manager for Bank of Ireland. And the first thing I asked her was the rationale for the for, for the particular farm walk. Thanks, Matt. Well, I suppose for us, we're delighted to have an opportunity to get in front of our dairy farming customers. The Brendan Barry family farm is an ideal um, farm for that. Um, He speaks very eloquently about, you know, some of the challenges that are facing our dairy farming customers. So where no better place to do that than out on a farm to actually talk face to face with with Brendan and with the expertise of Patrick Owing and Martina Gormley from Chagas giving their input and where they see, you know, milk price going into the future, um, looking at cash flow, challenges that might be there for some farmers into 2024 and also looking at labour and you know the availability of it and some of the challenges that many of our farming customers are facing. Yeah, I, I have to say, I thought Brendan was modest on the achievements that uh, himself and his family have, have made over the last decade or so. It was a fine farm, I'm sure, mixed livestock farm with a, with a, a relatively modest dairy herd. But it's it's a fine, fine establishment now and a lot of money gone into infrastructure. I was particularly taken with the roadways. I think they're, I think they're the arteries of any dairy farm. Absolutely, and he spoke very well about the investment that's taken place. Like this farm has grown from about 80 cows, you know, pre-crota, producing less than 400,000 litres to over 400 cows today. And there's a there's a huge, I suppose that, that there's a huge body of work that goes into that from all of the Barry family. Um, he spoke about the investments that he's undertaken. He spoke about where he sees the future in terms of, you know, where his head at is at in, fu- in terms of future investments. So there's a lot of things we need to consider around nitrates and stocking into the future, around the availability of lease land and the availability of labour and all of these are now key considerations when he looks to the future in terms of how he plans his farm business Yeah, uh, looking at the broader picture Susan, I hear glib commentary about, uh, well dairy farmers had a great year last year, they can buffer a a downturn this year, the same perhaps for for tillage farmers to a a lesser extent, that's not the reality of what happened
gains on, on farms, uh, running businesses, there's reinvestment. There's reinvestment, there is, and, and we saw that even last year with less demand from dairy farmers looking for on-farm development, so development funding, because they were funding that from the surplus cash flows of 2022. We've seen it in, the, in our increased deposits, we've seen it in the low utilisation of our overdrafts, so a lot of work has been done on farms over the last 18 months from car- farm cash flow. We're now heading into, a, I suppose, an environment where there's big tax bills that have to be paid on the back of that successful year in 2022 and writing some of those checks now in, you know, when we're heading into maybe six months of a, of a, of a low price environment um, will put pressure on some farms from a cash flow perspective. So what we're encouraging farmers to do is to review their situation. Um, you know, there has been money spent on farm from cash flow. There's an opportunity for them to retrospectively fund that out over an appropriate term and inject and replenish that cash back in the business to get them through the next six to 12 months. Um, so we're encouraging farmers to review their own situation at farm level, talk to their accountant, talk to their advisor and talk to their bank in time. And I'm sure you can speak in general at least uh, that the other finance houses have the same attitude of of, of backing their, the, the businesses that they're financing uh, when there's a, a hump in the road, if you like. Absolutely. I mean, look, we're well used to volatility, both from a, an input price perspective and from the costs as well. So it's a very, um, it's a very volatile business um, and the banks all have a long-term view in terms of um, you know outlook for the for the dairy and business which is very very positive um, and so look it is a short-term glitch but we can we'll we can work through it with our farming customers and I, I know the our institutions would say the same there was some commentary and discussion Susan about the, the necessity to perhaps change long-term farm plans that were built on certain stocking rates and certain cow numbers and that that may well change with the uh, changing EU policy in the coming period It may and I suppose as a bank you know we're as much in the fog as farmers are in terms of what that would look like into the future um, what we are confident is that I suppose on a whole dairy farmers are they're lowly borrowed relative to our competitors across Europe um, we apply several stresses when we're looking at a lending application for the last 18 months we have been stressing them at that lower stocking rate of 220 kgs of organic nitrogen um, and we're reviewing it on a case by case basis but we are looking for clarity and for some, no more than farmers around what that future will look like. You're talking to farmers most days, Susan, the mood in general, and I'm, I'm asking you across all the sectors. Yeah, the mood, look, it's, it's, you know, it's muted, I suppose, by comparison to this time last year. Um, now, look, the weather helps a day like today. Everyone's in good form. Um, it's still not, you know, we're still, I suppose we're heading into turbulent times, but we're coming off the back of a very strong milk price. There are challenges, but I think farmers are resilient. Um, and once they have a good team around them and good support, I think that we'll all work through it. Susan Nair, thank you very much. Thank you. I also got a chance to speak to the farm owner, uh, Brendan Barry. Uh, Brendan, it's a fine farm. I was particularly taken with the infrastructure. I mentioned it to Susan earlier, the roadways and, and, and so on. They're, you know, they're the necessity on any farm. Oh, completely, especially for a grass-based system. Those, those lanes are going to be used for hopefully 10, 10 months of the year. And I suppose with a bigger herd, you have, you have longer walks and, and those, those, those lanes. I suppose it's, it's, it's an element of prevention is better than cure that 
if we can stop these cows getting lame, you've, you've, you've less cure to do. And obviously, a, a cow that's lame won't be producing as much milk and won't go on calf as easy. So it's, 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 the, the lanes in particular are, are, are a, a very a big priority for us. I liked the look of the cows, a, a solid base on British Frisian, and you've built on that then with, with genetics. Yeah, like so when I came back first, it was a very strong Kilkenny British Frisian type, type animal. We put a black and white high EBI. I call it an Irish Frisian type animal on, 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 on that. So yeah, so we've a kind of a 550, 570 kilo Frisian cow that's producing a, a, a nice bull calf and as well as that, a nice solid heifer calf. All based on, on spring calving and getting out to grass and maximising grass then right through the season. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like we... Over the years, with the necessities around expansion, we've we've done certain things. We've we've calved in August to increase numbers. We've milked through when the milk price was good, but we've kind of learned our lesson. That we've we we had to get burnt ourselves to realise that 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 was while while it got us to a point. It's not something I'd like to practice long term. I think the spring calving system, calve in the spring, get him out the grass, dry him off for Christmas, have your your Christmas and your your, your January off. It's good financially good I suppose for the environment and good from a lifestyle and labour point of view. Now that you mentioned lifestyle there was a big discussion there in the latter part of the farm walk about uh, the necessity to ensure good lifestyle not only for yourself and your family but for employees. Yeah definitely in the current climate Matt when you know it's, it's more difficult for every, all industries to get labour you have to like I was going to say a, a unique selling point but t- t- fixed time off and, and giving your employees a, a lifestyle is not a unique selling point so that it's kind of a given in all, under, in all other industries so at the very least it's something we need to offer, offer our, our, our own employees Yeah because a lot of farmers have, have find it hard to get their head around finishing uh, relatively early in the in the evening time but of course the allowance has to be made that there's an early start in the morning Yes exactly like we'll say in, in most employments you might start at 9 o'clock so if you're, if you're starting at 6 or 7 in the morning the least one would expect would be to A you, you would finish on time and that time should be maybe reasonably early 4 or 5 um, yeah, yeah. I mentioned to Susan earlier about the challenges facing farming and the uncertainties in terms of planning the way ahead with nitrates, derogations and cow bandings and who knows what might be coming down the line. It does impose its own challenges outside altogether of the physical labour and the financial and, and the breed management and so on. As in it, it would challenges in that respect, Matt. Yeah, challenges in terms of the unknown. Oh, completely. Like as someone said here earlier, if you knew what was ahead of you, you could plan and work around it. We'll say someone was saying you might be stocked at at, at three at the moment, three 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 life cycle units per hectare. Um, you know, there's talks of extra slurry storage required. Do you build them based on on a stocking rate of three or a, a, a potential stocking rate less than that? So. You know, there's an awful lot up in the air, and, and it, it it creates its own stresses. Like if 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 you know at half time, you're down by four points. You know what you know what what you have to do. But in this respect, we don't know how, how, how far we're back. So it's and what ends up then then is you, you end up possibly either making a mistake, pouring concrete that can't be unpoured, or potentially not doing something that needs to be done in the yard, and therefore creating a strain both on you and on the labour and then all of a sudden the, the house of cards come falling down so it's quite a delicate balance there and, and you know certainty would be welcome in that respect a, a final question or commentary maybe from you Brendan in terms of the future you have a, a good herd established you have a well a structured and well laid out farm uh, and, and, and good breeding and so on what are your hopes for the future for this farm? I would hope things would maintain as they were as they are I think 
Chagas have suge- are suggesting or would be very adamant that you know a, a whole farm stocking rate of 2.5 and a milking plat- platform stocking rate of 3 is both economically profitable it's good from a labour point of view in terms of what we spoke about earlier and I, I really would hope it's, 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 an, it's also an optimum stocking rate in terms of the environment as well so I, I really would hope that sense would be seen and that the, the, the merits of the grass-based system in terms of the environment in particular can be recognised and, and certainly can be brought to, to the whole thing. Brendan, thanks very much. OK, it's time to go over to Tullamart and Eric Driver. Smaller sale today in Tullow here, but we'll give that down to the tremendous weather we're now experiencing and glad it has come eventually. Looking to the prices then, uh, those well heavy flams here today, holding good steady, if anything possibly dearer by a euro or two than we've seen last week. Best price today, 51 kilos there, 154, with lots of those well fleshed lambs over 48 kilos there, selling north of 144. Well, we would see the lighter, the lighter lambs then, we'll start with the stores here, those 30 to 32 kilos, improved by 5 or 6 euro across the board there, selling from the high 80s up to 100 and 102 and 3 there in some instances. With the 34 to 40 kilo lamb, very lively trade here, lots of custom around the ring for those, and they selling, and online here, and they selling anything there from 95 and 6 up to 110 and even 12 euro there in some instances. With the 40 to 42 kilo lambs, they selling there from 114, 16 for story or types, up to 125 and 6 for the ones carrying a bit more flesh with the factory lambs 44 to 46 7 kilos they're selling anything there from the high 120s up to the mid 130s cast joe trade no great change here top call of 225 there for cast joes store yo selling there from 160 to 180 a kilo hoggett joes there anything there from 170 up to 240 differential in price but also in quality but we would see the age joes then those genuine breeders there selling from 120 up to 180 we're back on friday with our weekly cattle sale and the weaning shows and sales are starting on Saturday the 16th of September along with our multi-breed ram sale all on Saturday the 16th of September thank you thanks very much to Eric we'll have George with you just after this break The Farm Show on KCLR brought to you by tierlawnfarmlife.com KCLR Mart Report sponsored by Kilkenny Livestock Mart serving the farming community for over 60 years George, how are things in Kilkenny? Yes, good news again for people who are selling cattle today. A bigger sale too, 900 an offer, a vibrant trade all round. Sale resulted in 97% clearance with a turnover in excess of 1 million. So it is 600 kilo bullock, he ranged from 180 to 285 per, or sorry, 287 per kilo. That's 1350 to 2070 per head. 5 to 600 kilo bullock from 2 euro to 320 per kilo. 1070 to 1710 per head with a 5 to, uh, to 5 to uh, bigger pardon from four to five hundred kilo from one eighty to three six five per kilo that's seven sixty to fifteen seventy per, uh, per head with those under four hundred kilo from one seventy to three fifty per kilo or from five hundred euro to thirteen sixty per head in the cow division once again a, a great trade Frisian cull cows one ten to two ten per kilo some less prices there but they were the exception rather than the rule and the continentals from one seventy to two sixty per kilo beef heifers from two fifteen to a two nine six per kilo. That's thirteen fifty to nineteen ninety per head. Four store types from two forty to three twenty five per kilo. Nine eighty to fourteen twenty per head. And the light store lots from one seventy to three twenty five per kilo, or from four eighty to eleven sixty per head. So a buoyant trade all round. As I said, a great turnover of in excess of one million, and um, it's good to see that things in that uh, sector are vibrant. A smaller sheep sale on Monday in Kilkenny. Uh, the butcher lamb from one hundred forty two to one hundred seventy. 
22 per head. Uh, the factory type from 120 to 146 per head, with the store lamb from 85 to 119 euro per head. Uh, the Casio's from 70 to 260 per head. Now, uh, disappointing hogger trade, I suppose. 180 to 220, a lot they made, some lot up to 260 per head. Uh, we had a special breeding uh, ram sale for the Kilkenny sheep breeders. Uh, Charlie Rams from 500 to 750 per head, with a suffix from 400 to 700 euro per head. Now, our um, uh, going ahead, or looking forward, should I say, on the 25th of September, we have a special dairy sale. So if you're thinking of selling some dairy, let us know uh, a bit of quality stock in that already. And that's on the 25th of September. On that day also, we'll have a multi-breed uh, ram sale. Our winning sale will be on October the 3rd. That's Tuesday, October the 3rd, our special winning sale. And Monday next, of course, we have a sheep sale. And breeding new sale, uh, kicking off at 10.15, and of course our general cattle sale this day week. So, Martin, for those who produce cattle for many weeks, uh, we mentioned on this show that the price of beef was slipping 5 cent, 5 cent, 5 cent. But now it would appear that the real creme de creme of beef is scarcer, and uh, they also have a bit of competition, the factory has a bit of competition from Northern Ireland buyers. So the thing has lifted considerably in the last uh, I, I was uh, going to weeks. say that when, yeah. when you mention it, and I wouldn't d- d- declare any expertise other than to say that that the last couple of weeks you've been it, it, it's been not not worried but you've been kind of going yeah things are not. but the last the last week and I saw your report in the Kilkenny people as well is it just supply and demand what's, supply what's and going demand, on it is and, and plus the fact I think that the factories by dropping prices hope that eventually if they buy if they're going for for, for to, to buy later on to, to, to fill up their sheds etc that they get them cheaper but I don't think it's going to happen there's a lot of people who'd waited and when they saw the slip in price of beef they felt that well the stores will follow on but some of the stores are outstanding prices the real good quality continental uh, bullock uh, be that um, uh, from about uh, 300 kilo upwards you're talking about price range there from 280 to 3 euro 60 per kilo that's that's great to prices you know not sure will they make a lot of money on those but uh, it's well, good to that's, see that's always it's and, at, it's at uh, the oh, by the way end, yeah. uh, while I remember sure. a few people said to me we listen to you every Thursday and uh, I sang he's saying you sang uh, a happy birthday to Matt, last, right, to Matt week. last week and it was my birthday too he said so sir to you a happy birthday a happy birthday to and to a lot that. of people I met from Wixford and Waterford because it was on that um, little trip down from New Ross uh, down on the on the uh, what's it called Princess uh, Barrow uh, or the Barrow Princess sorry the Barrow Princess from New Ross to Waterford absolutely idyllic last Sunday it was I said it's the best place to be in the whole world drop off at Waterford have a walk around get a bite to eat and come back again for the two hour leisurely cruise back up to New Ross right. and, uh, you had, and you had reasonable weather yeah, even absolutely today. magnificent, but magnificent. Just, it's a great country if the sun shines well, yeah. again I, I topped into St. Bullens topped into Tinange the place was mobbed right well it's, it's something my Father used to say it'd be a great country if you're going to put a roof on it. But I mean, that that of itself um, has that been something that people are talking about? I mean, two weeks ago, torrential rain, no let up, people in tillage very, very worried, and now we have the complete opposite. Yes, talking to a few tillage people, some people very lucky in the thigh area and up there, they were for quite lucky. Other other others weren't so lucky. A lot of their damage done with that torrential rain, etc., etc., on the tillage front. As I said, you're talking about uh, Matt was reporting. 
mean, on, on, on dairy prices there. Mm. Now, volatility in the beef trade has been there all the time. Yeah. Uh, we've had a great run with, with, with dairy prices. But as I say, it's a volatility up and down, up and down. The only thing is that if people, uh, you know, factored in the price of milk uh, six, eight, um, seven, eight, ten weeks ago, twelve weeks ago, that's not no, that's no longer attainable. So therefore, the check they're getting in from the from the co-op is much much smaller because of the reduction in milk right. prices. And, and therefore, some of this yeah. land that was leased or brought, uh, taken uh, from five to six hundred euro an acre, there could be difficulties right. there. And, and of course, added into that is the very very real problem that we heard earlier on, and we will be coming back to it. Obviously, is the uh, delays in payment. Now, the minister gave what I would consider the the, the, the party line. But the fact is, though, if cash flow is an issue and you've got a reduction in your check coming and money's not coming in for that, this. That's and another not, thing. It Nike makes things very, very... Directive down the road. And there's a lot of a lot of hurdles to be crossed in, in, yeah. in, in agriculture at the moment. Right. And uh, it's great. The sun, at least in the last couple of weeks, has has instilled into my sector, the sector I'm concentrating on at the moment, the beef and stores, has, has, has uh, introduced a lot of um, uh, positivity in Good it. Stuff. And hopefully it will continue. On the sheep front, see you on Monday, Thursday for the cattle sale. And have a great weekend. Great stuff, George. Thanks, as always. Thanks. Thanks for, uh, to everybody who appeared on the programme tonight. Thanks to Ramat for putting it together. He will be back in the hot seat next week. Until then, as we say always, farm well, farm safely, and a very good evening. The Farm Show on KCLR. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com.